Connell Tribune, Thursday the 20th of September 2018. General Meg Jackson and the Ballamurphy Massacre. At 3am on Monday 9th of August 1971, British troops in the RUC rolled into the nationalist areas of the six counties in the first swoops of internment. By 6am, 340 men had been interned under Her Majesty's pleasure in an act of government endorsed by British PM Ted Heath and Stormont's Brand Faulkner. The men were taken to various interrogation centres throughout the six counties, with 14 selected for special treatment, sleep deprivation, white room treatment, electric prawns attached to body parts, waterboarding and thrown out of helicopters at ground level but simulating a 200 feet drop. After this degrading and inhumane treatment and effect torture, the men were transferred to Long Case, the numbers rising to over a thousand in the next few months. The stage was set for a conflict which lasted 30 years. On the streets of the falls, Sandytown, Turf Lodge, Ballymurphy, Ardoin, Short Strand, Ungiven, Straban, Cross McGlen and Free Derry, the people flooded onto the streets, banging bin lids, throwing rocks and petrol bombs, protesting against this violation of their communities by a foreign army and a hated police force. The men arrested were fathers and sons, brothers and nephews, husbands and breadwinners, writers and poets, teachers and musicians, civil rights activists and theatrical artists, all male, Irish and Catholic. All decent, ordinary working class individuals not involved in any physical force activity which could be construed as armed struggle but their freedom was compromised by a statelet which has used this form of law and order since partition in 1920. Every decade since it's seen nationalist republicans face internment. The unionist junta at Stormont happy to just throw away the key and lock people without, up without trial for years in the end. No release date, a form of limbo and jail but no release. August 1971 was just the latest turn of the wheel. The status quo must remain, the union must be secure. Ulster was British and would remain so, well, so they thought. Anyone who knows Bella Murphy will understand that it had acquired an undeserved notoriety even before the conflict that would position it frontline for a whole generation. One of the first new housing estates built after World War II to ease the overcrowding in the Lower Falls, Markets and Carrick Hill, inner city Belfast. It housed large families, high unemployment, a tough area, Upstairs in the last bus to Ballamurphy on a Saturday night was a no-go area for the bus conductor. But it was also an area of strong community spirit, a family closeness that created a togetherness which was going to be tested to the extreme in August 71. I grew up just a short walk across the White Rock from Ballamurphy in the Turf Lodge estate. Another new working class estate. As kids we had no love for each other from the kids from the Murph. Regular pitch battles might take place in the fields close to the White Rock. Young teenage testosterone fueled by long hot summer evenings and cheap scrumpy. August 69 would refocus our young teenage intentions. The arrival of teenage foreign soldiers in our streets led to our extracurricular activities being focused on a new enemy. Joining forces with our erstwhile enemies in Ballamurphy, the presence of British soldiers created a joint enemy and a target for our youthful pent-up frustrations. Easter 1970 led to the first serious riots between the army and the community. A full week of clashes after some local girls attended an army-organised disco at the Henry Taggart Barrack, 
which ironically would become a killing field just over a year later. Responded to army snatch squads and rubber bullets with stones, catapults and Molotov cocktails, not really referred to in such exotic terminology in Belfast. The soldier lovers, as they were dubbed at their heads, shaved, tart and fellered into the bargain for their love of chirpy, chirpy, cheap sheep and a man in a uniform. Meanwhile, the teenage soldiers from Liverpool and Glasgow and their counterparts from the tough estates in West Belfast had drawn up lines of division. We just didn't like each other. During the summer months of 1970, things deteriorated. A curfew in the Lower Falls, six dead, serious riding at Ardorn and Short Strand as the Orange Order marched their traditional routes, another six dead. Hundreds injured in Ballamurphy, the community RUC station attacked and destroyed and abandoned. The riders studied Tanmore history. And the Henry Taggart post was almost overrun, sleepy sappers caught napping, jeeps liberated, rubber bullets, CS gas bottles and bricks, snatch squads and barbed wire, angry community and unwanted soldiers. The King's own Scottish borders and the Black Watch Scottish regiments with their own built-in bigotry and Marine Commandos and Royal Anglicans and then came the Paris. The summer of 71 had moved from street disturbances to full-scale armed struggle. The rejuvenated revolutionaries who had discarded their weapons of community defence for 17 volumes of the life of Karl Marx were now organising and training in the background as rioting took centre stage in the streets. But the time to transform defence into attack was coming. But coming in the other direction were the Paris, the heroes of Arnhem, the psychopathic military Rambos, the most unsuited military group ever to be unleashed on a working class urban community, not seen since Red Clyde in the general strike of 1926. Their instincts were to shoot, to kill first and ask questions later. That crazy colonial mindset would create the conditions for what has become known as the Ballamurphy Massacre and amazingly just less than six months prior to Bloody Sunday. Channel 4 has just screened a documentary about the massacre and this week the families have been in the High Court as an inquiry into events that week almost 50 years ago began. While the whole world and its dog know about Bloody Sunday, what happened in Ballamurphy, equally as tragic, has been covered up relatively unheard of. The families left to grieve for loved ones and the story of what happened pushed to the side of a conflict which claimed almost 4,000 lives. The introduction of internment brought a whole new dimension to the conflict. The previous year only 30 people had been killed and the four months afterwards 130. While internment in previous generations proved successful, this was a whole new ball game. Every nationalist community in the six counties was on the streets protesting. Riding went on for a week. The whole streets were burned. Thousands became refugees once again, like 69. The SDLP withdrew from Stormont and the Irish government protested and refused, like in the 40s and 50s, to bring in internment in tandem with the regime at Stormont. It was a total community revolt with the people rebelling after 50 years of partition. Into this milestone strode the career soldier Mike Jackson a future commander of land forces, the highest ranked soldier in the British Army. He was a born soldier like his father and grandfather and his son as well. The sort of family dedication to the armed fortress, which was a stalwart of empire building. 
the sort of people who thought that Afghanistan belonged to Britain in 1840 and Iraq and Palestine in the modern era, never mind the Falls Road. I picked up Jackson's autobiography and Charlie Burns recently. Next to Shakespeare's and Rue de la Boucherie in Paris, the best bookshop you'll ever find. Not my usual reading material, but considering I've read Thatcher, Stalin and Pinochet, he couldn't be any worse, and it was only two euros. The Paris power, or as the Scottish comedian Kevin Bridge would say, the prick's prick. As I said, the book, which was 30 euros, but now selling for two, and you could have got three for a tenner in the bargain bin, probably overpriced by 50%. General Sir Michael David Jackson, GCB, CBE, DSO, Chief of General Staff, to give him his full title, arrived in Ballymurphy in August 71 as adjutant in one para, and also doubled up as the press officer during Operation Demetrius. Over the three days, 9th to 11th of August, 11 innocent civilians, including a priest, were murdered by the Paras. But Jackson and his PR role claimed all were terrorists. The most amazing thing of all in his autobiography, there's no mention of anyone being killed in Ballymurphy. Even the chapter, totally dedicated to the troubles, he only says there were gun battles in the area. This is the guy who rose to the top ranking position in the army, but his mindset was stuck in the colonial era. Libya, Cyprus, Hong Kong, Malaysia and now Ireland. We made him in white and English speaking, but one para murdered 11 natives and got away with it. Just another colonial situation only close to home. Six unarmed residents were killed on the first day. 19-year-old Francis Quinn killed while helping another injured youth. Father Hugh Mullen, Catholic priest, holding a white hanky while helping another wounded man. 50-year-old Joan Connolly shot facing the Henry Taggart base. Daniel Taggart shot 14 times in the back as he lay on the ground. Noel Phillips, 20, shot near an army base. And Joseph Murray, 41, shot, arrested, beaten and shot in custody. His body was exhumed in 2015 and the second bullet found. Another civilian was killed in the 10th, Edward Doherty, shot walking down the White Rock. And four more in the 11th. John Laverty, 20, and 43-year-old Joseph Carr were shot at the top of the White Rock. Carr shot multiple times, and 49-year-old John McCurr shot near Corpus Christi Church. And finally, 44-year-old Paddy McCarthy. Apara put his gun in his mouth, deer hunter style, and pulled the trigger. McCarthy died of a heart attack soon after. All innocent civilians killed by members of one para, an elite British Army regiment. Mike Jackson, in his role as PR, issued a statement saying the paras were involved in a major gun battle. Hundreds around fired, yet no soldiers were shot and 11 civilians dead. The priest, the granny, the mother of eight, three 20-year-olds, five 40-50-year-olds, the most unlikely IRA unit ever sent into battle. Eleven members of a small, tightly-knit community murdered by soldiers from a highly trained military unit. It was beyond comprehension, but even worse were the lies and innuendo directed at those killed by Jackson and others. The 50-year-old woman had a machine gun, the priest had a rifle, and for many years the families had to live with these lies about their loved ones. What makes it worse is that Jackson doesn't do apology. I've trawled through his book, nowhere does he say the power has done wrong. 
In fact, where Ballymurphy is concerned, he doesn't even mention it. As far as the powers were concerned, they were fighting an insurgency, and Nationalist Belfast contained the enemy. If you were on the street that week of internment, you were a terrorist in fair game. Jackson worked with Colonel Derek Wilford, General Anthony Farr Hockley, and General Frank Kitson. These guys were also in command five months later on Bloody Sunday in Derry. Kitson, a military theorist, had written a thesis entitled Low Intensity Operations on how to deal with insurgents and urban guerrillas in a colonial situation. Originally intended for Kenya, Malaya and Oman, they induced the theory to de facto reality in the streets of Belfast. Five months after Ballymurphy, the powers were sent to Derry and the world knows how that panned out. The previous week, the powers that attacked anti-internment marchers, including John Hume at McGilligan Beach near Derry. It was a virtual trial run for that Sunday, which became Bloody Sunday. Fourteen innocent marchers were murdered by the Paras, just three more than Ballymurphy. But the world's media were there in force and pictures flashed around the world. Bishop Daly with a white hanky and iconic image survived. Father Mullen with a white hanky and Ballymurphy didn't. The cameras were absent there. Future General Mike Jackson issued a statement to every British embassy in the world. 22 gunmen, 28 targets, 14 killed. All had weapons, rifles, nail bombs. Any questions that arise, this is the official response. Widgery whitewashed the truth in Derry. Bally Murphy didn't even get an inquiry. It took 40 years for the Bloody Sunday families to get justice and an apology from the British government. It has taken almost 50 years for the Ballamurphy families to get justice and the truth, what happened to their husbands, wives, mothers and fathers, sons and grandchildren on that horrible few days in August 1971. The first casualty of any conflict is, is the truth.